Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Rush Nation, it is 2021. Happy New Year to you all. It's Monday night as we record. The Prime Minister is just about to announce another national lockdown. It is grim times indeed. However, it has been a fantastic week over at Five Yard College Towers. We have had a historic week. Loads of interaction on Twitter uh, on college semi-final day. The New Year's bowl games brought a lot of attention and a particular quarterback caught the eye in those. We've had a raft of followers and record numbers of people reading our uh, articles on the website. It's been a fantastic week for us. Already 2021 is looking up compared to last year. Ash, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. A great week for the site. We've got some yeah. more stuff coming up. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, it's really, really good to see. I'm glad the uh, I'm glad the listeners and readers of the website are enjoying these articles we're putting up as much as we are writing them. So... Yeah, it's been a it's been a good week, and like I said last week, we're getting into the interesting part of the year for mm-hmm. for us now. Obviously, the uh, the Super Bowl with the playoff runs start, but for us, the the draft prep really starts. So when you very say exciting times, when you say Super Bowl and playoff run, you think yeah. you thinking very selfishly there, Mister Goddard. Oh yeah, of course, very Sorry, selfishly yeah. there. Yeah, I, yeah, I got off. I forget. Well, at least you've had some good news today on that front. Some fantastic news, and and <laughs> the person in question will get mentioned. Let's crack on with the news. Last week's episode, we rambled on for nearly an hour and a half. So if you stayed with us right the way through, well done and thank you. We're hoping to be a little bit better with time tonight. So let's get to it. First up, Texas head coach Tom Herman has been fired and replaced with Alabama offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian. A big move for Herman. Uh, well, for Texas, not for Herman. He's going to get a lot of money though, Ash. I think it's, it's looking at about $16 million just yeah. to be relieved of his duties. Uh, Sarkeesian, of course, with, with experience with uh, Nick Saban and in the NFL, I think that's a big get for them. And Bama are looking for their new offensive coordinator. And apparently Nick Saban is looking towards the NFL. Former Texans head coach slash GM Bill O'Brien has been linked, as well as ex-Dolphins head coach Adam Gase. I don't know what he's been up to the last couple of years, Ash. Um, <laughs> he's been keeping a low profile, but apparently he's going to the Crimson Tide. Yeah, do you like how I left out Jets as the... Uh... On, on the Adam Gase bit, I thought I'd just put Dolphins head coach rather was than he, the Jets. Was he head coach of the Jets for the last two years? I'd, he I'd, was, yeah. I barely noticed. The, the, the Adam Gase era is over, but uh, <laughs> obviously Nick Saban has seen something that the rest of the world hasn't. Gase has also been linked with the quarterback's coach job at the Patriots. So Bill Belichick and, and Nick Saban rate him very highly. So they must know something that we don't. A strange... Um, departure now 
In the Conference USA, Coach of the Year Doc Holliday will not be returning to Marshall in 2021 after the university president informed him that his contract would not be extended. Now, looking at the season that, that Marshall had, I don't think this is a footballing decision. This could come down to finances and the very real impact that COVID has had on university funding. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, they did lose their last three games. However, before that, they were unbeaten in 10. So I'd lean more towards financial um, decision than anything else. But it's one of those things we'll probably never know, unfortunately. Possibly not, especially on a a smaller programme like Marshall as well. Surprising news of a head coach that's staying in his job. Jim Harbaugh is expected to sign a new deal as Michigan head coach through to 2026. Ash, one of my biggest fears in the offseason was Harbaugh making his way to the New York Jets. Uh, Apparently, like Adam Gase, he is liked in professional circles. Hasn't had a great time with the Wolverines and he's staying. Yeah, I mean, good news for you. Good news for Ohio. Um, <laughs> bad news for Michigan. Yeah, bad news for Michigan, yeah. So Interesting decision, that. We're both winners tonight. Indeed. And finally, speaking of Ohio State, head coach Ryan Day has said that he is, at the moment, uninterested in any talk surrounding head coaching positions in the NFL because he's focused on the national championship game. Spoiler alert, Ohio State beat Clemson. Ash, after the game, do you think Ryan Day is going to be tempted to move to the NFL? I think he'll he could potentially be persuaded. I think that this comment is solely to keep his players focused on the the, the national championship game. Um, you're always going to be intrigued when an NFL team comes knocking with a head coaching role. So um, it would be a real shame if he does if he does depart. However, um, I, I I think he probably will once. This season is finished, regardless of the result again um, in the championship game. There's two ways of looking at this. You can either say that Ryan Day's stock is as high as it's ever going to be, and it's the right time to to move. But you could also say that he's just about on the on the cusp of doing something special with the Buckeyes because they were in the playoffs. We expected them to lose to Clemson. Everybody expects them to lose to Bama. He could be on the edge of doing something special, and and that might persuade him to stay a little while longer. Yeah, possibly, possibly. So that's the head coaching news. Tell me about some player updates. Yeah, so a few few bits going on um, regarding players. The first one is some unfortunate news. Derek King, the Miami quarterback, um, will have to have surgery on the torn ACL that he um, had in their bowl game against Oklahoma State. Um, however, the reports are he should be ready for next season. Obviously, as we mentioned last week, he's coming back to Miami for his final senior year again because he he took the additional year um so that looks like it's a bit of a better decision from him even more so now because obviously he'll get back to fitness and um he'll have the year at college rather than having to have this torn ACL and then try and um impress teams in the uh draft so that's a little bit of good news around some really bad news for him Next up is LSU tight end um, Eric Gilbert, who we've spoken about um, on a few occasions now. He has entered the transfer portal, as I projected he would do. I think once we started seeing the news of him not being at training and uh, left out games, opting out, it was only a matter of time. So he has now entered the transfer portal. It's going to be very interesting to see where he lands, considering he was a five-star recruit this year. Um, Whoever gets him is going to be in a great position um, at the tight end for a number of years. 
I think there's a lot of there's a lot of Texas fans that are expecting him to become a Longhorn. So, yeah, I mean that's he's native of Texas, so it's a it's a real possibility. Um, and obviously they're going to have Sarkeesian, so that might be a draw for him as well. Speaking of Texas, um, Texas quarterback Sam Elinger has foregone his final year of eligibility and declared for the NFL draft. Um, shouldn't be that surprising. Um, Maybe the wrong decision considering the um, quarterbacks around him in this draft class, but I'd still project him to sort of be around a, a mid-round player, um, but I wouldn't expect anything um, special from, from him, um, at least in the short term. You never know with... Uh, an injury that has someone in front of him, he might get his chance and never look back. But on the face of it, I wouldn't, I don't think we'll see uh, Sammy Linger in the headlines in the NFL anytime soon. Um, we move over to Georgia. Um, Aziz Oljolari, the outside linebacker, has also declared for the 2021 draft, and his draft stock this year has absolutely flown through the roof. He wasn't being spoken about at the start of this year, and now he's being discussed as a first-round pick. So, very talented guy. When we get to it, um, we'll mention him a few times in the bowl game. Um, but yeah, he's looked great this year, and, and expect him to go in the first round in the 21 draft. Brock Purdy is staying at Iowa State. The um, the quarterbacks going back for his senior year. Unsurprising, he's not had the best of years. Again, it's a stuck draft class, so maybe he's thinking stay another year, try and get some better tape and have a better season and potentially go a little bit higher next year. I'd say right decision after that. I mean, we've spoken yeah. about it a couple of yeah. times, haven't we, Tom? So, I mean, and then with, final... with, with Brock Purdy, it's, it's a case of regardless of whether the class is stacked, he hasn't performed as expected no. this year. So he, he was getting drafted sixth, seventh, you know, we're talking late day three. If he's getting picked up at all, based on what he's what he's done this year, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Smart move. Go back to school, put some better numbers up. Exactly. And then final player news is a recruit, and UNC have landed the number three overall recruit in, recruit in the country, defence friend Corey Foreman. So that's a real coup for them. Um, as I say, he's the number three overall, not in his in his positional class, but in the whole of the recruitment uh, class. So that's a real coup for for UNC. And the ACC is now becoming possibly the most competitive of the Power Five conferences. Obviously, Clemson have, have won it again. Notre Dame were right up there. UNC have been fantastic. They're losing a lot of talent on offense. But if you can recruit and you can get the top uh, individuals in the country, then then who knows where you're going to end up. We're moving on to bowl games. And before Ash runs through the results of some of the games, both prior to and after the New Year's Six, the final bit of news is the brawl at the end of the Mississippi State and Tulsa Bowl game. Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach missed it. I was in the crowd taking pictures with fans. Now, Tulsa safety Kandarin Ray was helped off the field. He was having trouble breathing after finding himself under a pile of players during the brawl. Uh, the, there was a video from the Mississippi State locker room in which the players seemed to be celebrating and joking about a Tulsa player getting kicked uh, in the face. Horrible, horrible scenes at the end of that bowl game. And let's hope that the, the, the individuals involved, who appear to be on the Mississippi State team, are punished appropriately. Yeah, they appear to be the antagonists. I think Tulsa are going to get some something handed down as well because obviously they 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 retaliated. But yeah, hor- horrible scenes, and yeah, we don't want to see that in the game. Um, but speaking of that game, um, that was a number of bowl games that obviously went ahead over the last week. 
Um, uh, that one, actually, Mississippi State, despite coming into it with a, a three and seven record, I think it was, did win 28-26 over Tulsa. We also had Oklahoma State beat Miami 37-33. Texas beat Colorado 55-23. Wisconsin beat Wake Forest 42-28. Ball State overcame San Jose State 40, uh, 33-13. West Virginia beat Army 24-21. Kentucky won against NC State 23-21. And finally, Ole Miss beat Indiana 26-20. And then we get on to the New Year's Six games. Yeah, let's, let's rattle through these. Uh, I know there's one in particular that you want to talk about, Ash. I think we should save that till last because what a game it was. I'll kick things off with the Cotton Bowl. Oklahoma 55, Florida 20. It must be said this was a weakened Florida team and and Kyle Trask didn't necessarily uh, enjoy his final game as a Gator. Spencer Rattler and Marvin Mims Jr. are showing an incredible understanding between them. And that Florida defence really struggled. Oklahoma and the Big 12, I believe Big 12 teams went unbeaten for the first time in in bowl game history. Um, That Florida defence is struggling. They really need to work on that side of the ball. Obviously, the quarterback's moving on. We also see some key wide receivers and, of course, the tight end Kyle Pitts. It's a big job for Dan Mullen to, to take Florida to the next level. They were knocking on the door in the SEC at the start of the year, but things haven't ended well. Beaten uh, in a plucky performance against Alabama in the SEC Championship game, and this really wasn't um, wasn't a full-strength Florida side. Dan Mullen said as much himself and made comments. I think he talked about practice squads. I, if I was him, I wouldn't be making comments like that about the players that are going to be returning next year, but he does make a good point. He said that for his team, the season had already ended, And it showed on the field because Oklahoma were more determined to win and, frankly, played the better game. So congratulations to Oklahoma and to the Big 12. Convincing victory for them. Yeah, it was. Like I say, Trask was missing his top four passes, uh, pass catchers, um, and it seemed that he really felt that. Um, Two out of the three picks that he threw, um, I believe he was at fault with. One, definitely. The first one. Um, he, he just he made it too obvious who his intended target was and the, the defence, the DB, just basically cut the route off and, and it was an easy pick. I, I do have a question on the second, uh, the third one. Um, the second one was the deflected one. I think it, he mm-hmm. threw the ball too high, but it was unfortunate that it came out of the wide receiver's hands and dropped to the DB. But the third one, it was an underpowered throw into the end zone and it was an easy pick for the DB. But was he hit when he was throwing the ball? Was his arm hit? Because... From what I, I have, I didn't watch the game, so I've only seen highlights, and it, it literally cuts away from him instantly. So I don't know if you've managed to see it, but it was a really like wobbly under through ball for the third one into the end zone. I think it was, was he hit. I think yeah, it was tipped. I don't know if it was tipped or if um, because I can you can see a defender rushing onto him as he's as he's throwing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the defender's hit his arm as he's throwing the ball, which is why it's so weak. If it's not, he really underthrew it, but I can't see him making a pass that bad. It was, um, yeah, it was a proper wobbler. I was about to say we can't read too much into bowl game performances, but that takes the shine off somebody else's performance later on. So let's read everything into bowl game performances. Oh, yeah. Kyle yeah. Trask is trash. He should never play again. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to the Peach Bowl. Yeah, so the Peach Bowl, the game that we were really looking forward to, Cincinnati versus Georgia, um, and it was as exciting and 
uh, as a bigger contest as we expected it to be. And, and Cincinnati took Georgia all the way and were leading um, for all of the four. I think they, yeah, they, um, Georgia didn't score in the third quarter. Um, since so Cincinnati held a 21 to 10 lead all the way up until the fourth quarter where Georgia actually, well, they pulled it back with uh, with a late touch, with a, with a couple of touchdowns. Um, but it was... An impressive display from Cincinnati, it's got to be said. And I think everybody who's watched the game and watched the highlights have come away and, and said Bearcats have got nothing to, to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. Um, it, especially, I mean, they. I think they looked especially good on the defensive side of it up until the sort of last half of the fourth quarter where they really started to run out of steam and, and JT Daniels sort of, and um, Samir White did sort of the job. Um, but, up, but they were missing two key players they so um they had two second team all americas james wiggin the safety and ahmad gardner their cornerback both missing for this game but yeah i mean you can't fault the way this team played up until a, a few certain areas that were unfortunately the difference makers for them i think the first big thing that went wrong for them um was their the stupid play that their offensive tackle james hudson made mm-hmm. it wasn't even a play actually so they rid um Ryder had completed a pass to the three yard line and then all of a sudden you see James Hudson coming in and sort of push his head into a player um, and he got called up for a personal foul, ejected from the game, pushed them back 15 yards. Obviously they did score from that with um, about seven seconds to go in the first half. However, they were then exposed. Ryder was exposed on the left-hand side for the rest of the game. They brought in an yeah. absolute giant. I don't know if you saw him, the German, yeah. uh, Lorenz yeah. Metz, six foot nine. He was not ready for that game. You could tell on a particular play, he got absolutely blown aside for a sack on on um, on Ryder. Um, so that was the first mistake. The second one was, in my opinion, the... Um, Cincinnati head coach Luke um, Fickle was at fault. Late in the fourth quarter, there was about a minute and a half, just over a minute and a half left. They were on third and two. They should have run the ball. They could have ran the clock down some more, uh, almost to the to a point where it was they had about 20 seconds left, or they mm-hmm. could have got the first down. However, they went for the pass that was incompleted and it left too it left enough time for um Georgia to come back and obviously seal it with that last second kick which was um, Pod Lesney's longest kick in his um, career, 54 yards. He'd only previously kicked 51 yards. So, But like I say, the actual game itself, I don't think you can take anything away from Cincinnati. They held their own. We saw what we wanted to see from them. They are competitive against the big teams. Yes, Georgia haven't had the best year, but let's not forget this Georgia team are still a good team and one of the top teams in the country. Um, so they, they perform really well. And on the Georgia side of the ball, JT Daniels, made a few mistakes it has to be said but that connection between him and George Pickens looks great they made some really big plays and they're both back next year JT Daniels is going back for an additional senior year and obviously Pickens is a freshman so expect to see a lot more from them um, for next year and then the only other person I wanted to mention is who we mentioned earlier that is Aziz um, Ujulari, obviously, as we say, he's shot up and is expected to be a first-round pick this year. He had three sacks, uh, a forced fumble, and a safety in this game. So, I mean, his tape just took another level to what was already an exceptional 
um, an exceptional year. So yeah, and yeah, he, he's getting to the quarterback, particularly when the backup left tackle comes in, and, yeah. and he, he certainly got some joy there. But ending the game on that safety was was the perfect way to end what was a dominant performance from him. And like we said in the last game, Ash, bowl game performances mean absolutely everything to a player's evaluation. So Ojolari is going to be the first edge off the board. In the Rolls Bowl, Alabama 31, Notre Dame 14. This was dominance from Ballard in Dallas. Notre Dame tried to establish a run game. Lots of designed quarterback runs from Ian Buck, but it just didn't come together. You know, seeing Ian Buck trying to trying to get the first down on a third and seven against this Alabama defence, it just wasn't going to work. On the other side of the ball, you just could not stop Mac Jones, Harris and Smith. Smith in particular, I mean, two first half touchdowns, the second of which, I believe it was his second on a screen pass, and he just left for dust the opponent. People are talking about him as the Heisman winner and a performance like this in, in, in this game, I think it's hard to look past him now. He got his third touchdown in the second half. Let's not forget Najee Harris, who was incredible and absolutely the best running back in the country right now. Bama's a talent factory and it just keeps on producing the best players in the country. We'll come to Bama in the Lonely Hearts Club later on. But with the score 21-7 at half time, you'd be forgiven for, for going to bed. There was a long Notre Dame drive to start the second half, which ended in an Ian Buck interception. He gets injured on a hit by Christian Balmore at 28-7. Out comes Drew Pine to replace him. He does come back later on in the game and runs in a touchdown. And there was a, a moment of panic when Devontae Smith couldn't haul in uh, an onside kick, but they didn't do anything with it. Bama win at a canter and go to the national championship game, 31 points to 14. Mac Jones in this one, only uh, incompleted is that right, Ash? Have I made a word up there? Only five passes incomplete, 297 yards, four touchdowns. Najee Harris, 125 yards. And Devontae Smith, 130 and three. Let's save the Sugar Bowl, Ash, for last. So you tell me about oh. the game between A&M and UNC in the Orange Bowl. So this scoreline probably doesn't do this game justice. It was an incredibly close back and forth game, mm-hmm. which made which was even more fascinating considering the team UNC put out. They had no, um, they had both of their um, starting running backs, Javonta Williams and can't remember his first name, Carter. Uh, is it, is it Michael? Michael? I think it's Michael Carter. Yeah, so they had both Williams and Carter missing. Uh, they had Chaz Surratt missing on the defensive side. They were really hit by by this uh, by this team selection, but you wouldn't have thought it because up until a point, like I say, it was they were going back and forth, back and forth, um, literally right the way up into the fourth quarter where um, Texas just sort of went ran away with it, and I think it what did it end up twenty one points unanswered or or, yeah. or somewhere yeah I think it was twenty one points unanswered. Um, <clears throat> So, but yeah, like I say, don't you can't read too much into it. They they sort of they stepped up a gear right in the fourth quarter, as as you expect. Keelan Mond um, had a had a good game, but what I will say is the first time this year he experienced a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. and I think almost tied the same amount of sacks they've had all year in this one game. What did he end on? Get did he get sacked three times this game? Yeah, or was it so. He- 
on on the season coming into this game, he'd been sacked just four times. Yeah, and there was three in this game. Three in one game, yeah. So I mean, yeah, UNC real put a lot of pressure on him, but he still. He's, I mean, he didn't score a touchdown, but he, he ran well with his feet. He made plays and sort of got the ball moving. Um, and, and like I say, yeah, he 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 had a good enough game, um, I think. But the the main talking points from the Texas side of it has got to be their ground game. So they ended with 232 total yards. No, 225 total yards. And all five of their touchdowns they scored were oh, by man. their running backs or yeah. through the running game. Um, so Isaiah Spiller had two, um, Akan had, Devon Akan had two, and Keelan Mond got one as well. Um, I think probably the play of the game for me, uh, there's a couple of contenders. I'll do one from UNC and one from um, Texas. So the UNC was um, the 80-yard touchdown from Sam Howell to Josh Downs. Um, Josh Downs absolutely blew the um, defensive backs away. Uh, a bit of busted coverage, but um, Howell did well to escape the pocket, reset himself and pointed downfield and Downs did the rest of it, chucked it long and, and, and came up with a pass. And then for the Texas A&M side, it was the about four minutes left. Um, Devon Achan, the running back, is about a 76-yard run. But the way he broke tackles and then stayed on his feet and utilised the great blocking play from the guys in front of him uh, and, and got it into a score. Yeah, yeah brilliant piece of play there. Um, you, you can't fault it. Uh, but yeah, like I say, I'd recommend going to watch the highlights if you've not, because it was a really exciting game up until maybe 10 or so minutes left in the fourth quarter where Texas, like I say, they just sort of put their foot on the gas. UNC's lack of... Uh, big players sort of came back and, and bit them in the end. But up until that point, it was a really competitive game. I think you're absolutely right, uh, it, particularly when it comes to saying that this game was a lot closer than the scoreline suggests. There is a lot for UNC to be to be hopeful for because, you know, a, bit, a, a big concern with no, uh, with, with no Williams, Carter, Brown on offence, what was Sam Howell going to do with some, some younger talent around him? And he showed up again. And there's a lot of talent in that UNC team coming through into next year. It was close. The defence got to a quarterback that is used to staying on his feet and used to passing in a clean pocket. So there is a lot for UNC to take from this game. But in the end, the Aggies ground them down. A good game to watch. Uh, under the radar, I think it could it could be uh, one of the most, um, possibly the second most entertaining of the bowl games total. Looking at the the others... I think there's there's one that I would take over it, but but that one was was really a, a very good game to watch, and and like you said, back and forth, two offenses going at it. Finally, well, finally from me, Ash has got a treat for you after this one: the Fiesta Bowl, Iowa State thirty-four, Oregon seventeen. Oregon had the game we were expecting them to have in the Pac-12 championship game, in that they've played less games, and in those games they lost two of them and expected them to, to get beat. And Iowa State were just too prepared and too good for that. Brees Hall, rushing touchdown on a long first possession. And what we saw from Oregon is we saw uh, both quarterbacks being used. Anthony Brown, to begin with, was used sparingly. But as the game went on, uh, particularly as a quarterback keeper, um, Brown was getting some joy. And so, um, well, for me, the weakest part of this offence is Brock Purdy. Charlie Kohler had a great game. He made an impressive catch from a poor 
uh, Brock Purdy throw, which was basically at his heels. Nothing wrong with his second touchdown throw. He was in acres of space for the touchdown. Uh, I'm expecting Cola both to declare and to go possibly in the third round. The mm. turnover battle is so important here. Oregon turned the ball over three times, and, and basically that is is what, what cost them. Two of those turnovers were on special teams, one on a kickoff, one on a punt, which hit the return and was recovered. And that is that is where Oregon lost this game. Iowa State with a better coach, better run, more talented side, and it showed throughout this game. Now, um, Matt Campbell, head coach of Iowa State Cyclones, if you were to ask me right now, Ash, is he there next year? I'm going to say no. I think there is an NFL team coming for him. I don't know who, but I certainly think he'll get some interviews. What he has done at, at Iowa State is incredibly impressive. They are now, at the moment, the second team in, in the Big 12. They're knocking on the door of Oklahoma. Obviously, we would expect Sarkeesian to resurrect this Texas program that has been struggling this year. Matt Campbell, for me, is someone that I think will be certainly attracting NFL head coaching job searches in the next couple of weeks. But enough of those games. Let's get to the main event. We've beaten around the bush. We've not really spoken about it. Ash, that your heart said Ohio, your head said Clemson. Oh, yeah. The, sorry, the Sugar Bowl game. Yeah, that's it. Oh, um, you've forgotten about that. For I a forgot. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that game. I mean, a forgettable performance by... from the Buckeyes and Justin Fields. Not at all, no. Um, I think Debo Sweeney, Dabo Sweeney, however you say his name, round, um, sort of, well, get, round it up perfectly. Um, although I, I'd have to agree, I don't think it was a domination, um, as he put it in the post, post-game post interviews. I think Clemson, in particular, in the first quarter, really gave Ohio a game. And then... Fields just sort of turned it on. Clemson defense couldn't handle what he was what he was putting up. Him and Trey Sermon, who we mentioned last week, um, had an unbelievable performance. Could he do it again? Obviously, Master Teague was still missing for injury, so Sermon was the key man once again, and he ended the day with 193 yards and a touchdown and dominated. I think I do. I don't. I didn't see him put a foot wrong. Um, we were also missing our starting left guards. Um, and our backup right guard who plays left guard. Um, so we had our was our third string left guard playing. Um, and obviously, Fields had an absolute blinder. Six touchdowns, 385 yards. He did throw one interception. And I will say it was, again, another lack of judgment um, in my eyes. Yeah. He threw it into traffic. He, I think at that point he was going for the extravagant and thought, yeah. Do you know what, I can put this here. But apart from that, he did everything we said he needed to do. He needed to play for the team and play how we know he can play and not for himself. And I think up until a point, yeah, he did that. And he did it all with a rib injury that I have just seen. It's just come through that he is expected to be fully go for the championship game, yeah, which is good to not, see. He's not missing the you'd, uh, you'd be very surprised if he missed that, wouldn't you? Let's, let's, yeah, get, that... let's get to that injury. Do you think that that targeting ejection for James Skalski was fair. Oh, yes, I do. Not Excellent. just from an Ohio f- point of view. He that that was worse than a couple of other ones that we've seen that were a bit sort yeah. of 
yeah, to the line. So we we've been we've in the past we've been quite uh, defensive of the defender in in yeah. that we we do tend to side and and have sympathy with the defender. Some people have made comparisons to Wade's ejection last year. I don't think that's fair because there was the the discussion about whether Lawrence lowered his head towards the tackle. James Skowski has, has been ejected from this game. He's not just en- endangered Justin Fields, but he's endangered his own safety as well. You know, oh, using 100%. the crown of the helmet for such a huge hit. He's undoubtedly not just done damage to Justin Fields, but to himself as well. So I'm, I'm glad that we're, we're, we're not having to have that, that debate and that we both agree that that was a, uh, the, the rightful uh, implementation of the targeting role there. Yeah, well, we'll on that. You say endangering himself. He he is. You can see the impact. You can see his head push back. And you've just yeah. got to look at the Ryan Shazier injury from a few years ago that has ended his career. Yeah. He broke his spine making a tackle like that, leading yeah. with your helmet. I mean, yeah, you've got to. I, I felt for him, regardless of obviously him, I was getting the 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 right call. As soon as he did it, I was like, that looked like it hurt. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they're both lucky to come away of it with minor injuries. But back well, on the, to the you, game. You say minor injuries. I mean, Justin Fields, it looked like he was climbing Everest, just getting onto oh, yeah. the exercise bike. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, in, yeah. <laughs> How he made the the part, the touchdown it, straight after getting hurt like that is, is crazy. You see him come off the pitch as soon as that... Um, as soon as he makes that throw, and he, he, he the wincing in his face is is mad, but yeah. it's good. It, it's good to see that they both appear to be fit now, um, and obviously, yeah, Fields is is good to go for the game. Um, I don't think I think Lawrence played. I think Lawrence played well. Um, I, I can't remember his interception. How Do you know did what? His interception come about? Do you know what? Neither can I. Uh, uh, uh. No, I can't remember how his interception came about, the, but he didn't have a bad game. No, I think he had a, he had a pretty good game. Uh, Four hundred yards. He scored a couple touchdowns. Um, Powell um, benefited. Cornell Powell benefited from him um, in particular. Uh, what was it? One hundred and thirty-nine yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, he had Etienne, an incredible game. He had a very good game. Yeah, and he was unf- ah. I remember Lawrence's um, interception. It was in the end zone. Um, he put it into Powell, and it was a very good throw. Powell got the ball. However, our, one of our freshman cornerbacks um, had his arm in between Powell's, and he ripped out whilst another of our cornerbacks was coming in and smashed it into Banks' hands. Um, I, have, I have no recollection of that whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just clicked with us when I was mentioning Powell um, and having a good game, it clicked then. Um, so, yeah, he had a very good game, made, made a couple of big plays and Lawrence put the ball into his hands. Etienne, um, uh, not his best game, 32 yards, but he did score a touchdown. He did do quite well in the passing game. Uh, what did he come up with? 64 yards. So, again, he's he's showing that he has that capability in the passing game, which is what we wanted to see. But going back to it, Ohio were phenomenal and yeah. rightly deserved the win. Um, I'm I'm buzzing. I was buzzing about it. I watched majority of the game. Um, stayed up. Um, regretted it the next day, but <laughs> at the time I was loving life. And yeah, we 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 they silenced a lot of doubters. And no one, I don't think anyone has doubted Ohio's talent. Um, more so that their justification of being here over some other teams, but this performance shows that they fully deserve to be here. Um, and um, 
Very what a, intrigued. What a performance from, from Ryan Day as head coach. I mean, having the result of last year's semi-final defeat in the weights room throughout the, the pre-season in preparation, that is a risky move because if you're putting that up there, yes, it can serve as inspiration, but it's also a daily reminder of your last failure. And if you're reminded of it daily, when this fixture reappears this year, two things can happen. It, players can either become fearful of the occasion and it can overwhelm them, or we can see what happened, which was an incredibly inspired group of athletes that were ready to to put things right. Dabo Swinney put fuel on the fire by ranking Ohio State 11 and, and, and making comments about how it's going to be easier to prepare because we've only got six games to watch them. Dabo Swinney did the, the team talk for the Buckeyes, but Ryan Day had spent a year getting them ready for this moment. And you could see that this was their opportunity as a unit to put things right. And Justin Fields, he must have been, he, he's been listening to the disrespect. He's been listening to people say that he's going to be the third quarterback off the board, that he's a Buckeyes quarterback and they don't make it in the NFL. And he turned around and he every weakness that we've heard of Justin Fields, he, he, he did something in that game to, to prove us wrong. I didn't think that Fields... I, I knew Fields was a leader, but I didn't think or I didn't know he had that ability to put a team on his back and carry them to a victory. And I was so impressed by his conduct during the game, how he bounced back, the toughness he showed during the injury. And then at the end of the game, when he was asked, do you think this is the number 11 team in the country? He just had a wry smile and said, I'm not going to comment on that. And, and he's getting ready for the national championship game. He impressed me immensely with his performance. And, and like I said at the start, Ash, we read everything into bowl game performances. So Justin Fields, number one quarterback in this draft class, going number one overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ah, don't be silly. You just want that so you can get Lawrence... Listen, it is a fantastic consolation prize. Murph was telling me this a couple of weeks ago and I was refusing to listen. He was saying that, you know, you're missing out on Lawrence, but you're getting a, a great second option as a, as a potential quarterback. Yeah. I, I am not going to go as... I can't rule Ohio State out of this this natty. Let's let's do our preview now. So it's, it's in the early hours of Tuesday, 1am in the morning, uh, on the 11th of Jan at Tampa Bay's Ray J Stadium. Uh, Ohio State have, have appeared and won one national championship way back in 2015 under Urban Meyer. Alabama has been there four times, wins in 2016 and 2018, defeats in those consecutive years, 17 and 19. So Alabama has the experience. It has the talent. It opens up as a seven-point favourite and the over-under is 77. Ash, last time I said that Clemson just had a little bit too much for Ohio State the same could be said in this one but after that performance from Justin Fields and that run defence I'm not saying anything if we have the same performance we did in that game um, it's going to be very interesting I'm taking that over but uh, yeah I mean it's a similar one for me I think Bama have got more than than Clemson on the offensive side in particular. They do. But if we can knock out if we can knock out Harris and make them rely on on Mac Jones. Yeah, I, I, I'm going a similar. My my heart is telling me we will win this game. 
we I don't we won't I, I don't it won't be as comfortable as the Clemson game. I mean the Clemson game wasn't comfortable, but it won't be uh, as as a bigger score as as that. Um, but I am still leaning Ohio as a fan. That's going to win out over anything else for me. I do, you know, gonna, do you know what, Ash? We're going to win this. For you as well, I want that to happen. I want Ohio State to win it. And that team showed so much heart and so much preparation. Ryan Day has inspired that group of individuals to the point where they believe they can beat anybody. Now, they are going to have to beat the best team in college football. Nobody is going to say a word if Alabama do what they do, win by 14, because it's Bama. All I'm saying now is we can't rule out Ohio State anymore, not after what we saw, uh, what they did to Clemson. No, no, definitely can't. It's going to be an exciting game, and I can't wait. Excellent. Well, I, I wish you and the Buckeyes all the very best of luck. Hopefully one day I'll be in the situation where my team are headed towards the national championship. But before we do that, Ash, I've got to find a team to support. You do indeed. And one of those teams this week we have just mentioned um, and are in the national championship, and that's Alabama. As we know, as we mentioned last week, this matchup is Georgia versus Alabama. and big, big matchup in the SEC and a big decision for you today, really. Um, we are going to start with Georgia. The ninth ranked team in the country um, on the final AP rankings. They are the Peach Bowl winners, as we previously mentioned. They are part of the SEC and finished second in the SEC East with an 8-2 and two schedule. Their game breakdown. Game one, they beat Arkansas 37-10. to 10. Game two, they beat Auburn 27-6. Game three, they beat Tennessee 44-21. Game four, They lost to Alabama 41-24. Game five, they beat Kentucky 14-3. Game six, they lost to Florida 44-28. Game seven against Missouri was postponed. In game eight, they beat Mississippi State 31-24. Game nine, they beat South Carolina 45-16. Game 10, they beat Vanderbilt. Uh, Sorry, game 10 against Vanderbilt was postponed. Game 11, the rearranged fixture against Missouri went ahead. They won that 49-14. to Game 12, Vanderbilt was cancelled eventually. And then the final game, which was the um, Peach Bowl game, they beat Cincinnati 24-21, which we previously mentioned. So the two teams they lost out to, fair enough, Alabama, obviously the best team in the country at the moment until the 12th um, and Florida who at that point in particular were having a great season um, and a, a well-deserved victory on that one as well. Um, but I mean, Georgia, Georgia have done themselves. They, they've had a good year um, in the grand scheme of things. We, we, we were expecting them to have this sort of year. Um, they lost a few key players. They got a couple of youngsters. They had a decision to make a quarterback, which they eventually made, um, which I'll get onto in a sec. Um, and that, I think the quarterback situation probably went on a little bit too long. Um, but in terms of their passing stats, so I've got two guys on here. And the reason I've got two guys on here is um, JT Daniels, who we mentioned, who played in the Peach Bowl. He won, he's won all four of the games he started. He finished the year with 80 completions from 119. 
1,231 yards, 10 touchdowns and two interceptions. He replaced Stetson Bennett, who started the year as their quarterback before eventually becoming the fourth string, I believe, behind Mattis, the freshman that I can't remember, and JT Daniels. So he has dropped drastically and and he's actually now entered the transfer portal. So he's gone. Um, He finished the year with 86 completions for 155, 1,179 yards, eight touchdowns and six interceptions. So it's the interceptions that killed him because the remainder of his stats were similar to JT Daniels. He was just making silly mistakes that were costing the Bulldogs in particular um, in the Florida game. Rushing-wise, um, Zamir White um, heads both of these. So he had 144 attempts on the year for 775, 779 yards and 11 touchdowns. Receiving yards, again, for the yardage, I've gone for two guys purely because of how close they are. So the first is freshman George Pickens, obviously a guy who, who I, I was high on at the start of the year. I mentioned him as a player to watch. He finished with 36 receptions and 513 yards, but he lost out as the yardage leader by Kiris Jackson, um, who had 36 receptions and 514 yards. So there's one yard in between them, so I thought I should probably put them both on there. In terms of touchdowns receiving, um, that was George Pickens with six. Uh, Kickers, um, Jack Podlesny, who I mentioned earlier in the roundup of the Peach Bowl game, he was perfect on extra points, 38 for 38, and went 13 for 16 on field goals. Tackles combined, Nakobe Dean, linebacker, finished with 71. He also held the solo tackles with 39. Sacks and forced fumbles were both held by Aziz Ojulari, another guy who we've mentioned in depth in this podcast. He finished with eight and a half sacks and four four forced fumbles on the year. Um, Pass defended uh, five, tied by Tariq Stevenson and Tyson Campbell. And interceptions was four with Eric Stokes. Now, draft prospects, they've they've actually got some decent... Um, some decent um, prospects in this draft class. Obviously, we've mentioned Aziz Al-Jalari. We believe he's going to be a first-round pick um, come April. You've also got the two cornerbacks, Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell. In my opinion, they're going to be sort of second to third-round players. Um, Same with Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle. He's in the conversation for one of the top defensive tackles in this draft class. I believe he's going to be going in the second round. Um, Center, Trey Hill, uh, rounds three to four. Richard LeCount, the safety, who at one point was being mentioned as the top safety in the class, but he's dropped um, a bit in recent months and across this year. I think he's going to be a sort of round three to four pick. Um, another cornerback, um, DJ Daniel, rounds four to five. Same with um, Ben Cleveland, the offensive guard. Jamie Newman, the quarterback who will be down as Georgia, but is not really a yeah. Georgia quarterback. Will I believe he'll be drafted? But I think he's going to be sort of round sort of four, five, six, somewhere around that. Uh, Trey McKitty, the tight end, similar similar sort of area, and then and, and Monty Rice as well, around round four to five. I just want to mention um, a couple of guys. So JT Daniels is a senior, but he's going back for another year. He's taking the additional year of eligibility. And Zamir White is eligible to declare for this draft. I don't think he will. I think he's going to go back to school for another year. 
Um, but that's going to be an interesting development to see what he decides. Because if he does come out, I think you're going to be looking around sort of round three to four. Because he's one of the he's one of the top guys of the second tier. Once you get past those those sort of top two three running backs, he's one of the next names you discuss. And that's Georgia. Anything on them before I move on to to Bama? There's so much talent there. I mean, yeah. I mean, Ojalari's probably going to be the highest bulldog picked in, in this draft class. But the two cornerbacks for me are second round guys. And, and I think that that's where they'll go because it's a premium at the position. And you mentioned Zamir White. I think it's wise for White to go back to school because we've got a good season of work, but his injury history before that, it means that we haven't really got a lot of tape for NFL teams to judge him on. If you if you want a running back that can run the ball through the gut of a defence, then Zamir White's your guy. In terms of red zone, third and short, give him the ball because he'll get it done. Yeah. So, I mean, with White and Pickens, I think you've got enough uh, enough talent there next year for, for Georgia to, to be a problem. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely the right right idea for him to go back. Um, I have to agree with you there. So f- moving on to Alabama, as I said, they are um, they they won the Rose Bowl over Notre Dame as we discussed. They finished first in the SEC. They were the SEC champions, uh, and they have a twelve and zero record on the year. That started game one against Missouri, where they won thirty eight to nineteen. Game two, they beat Texas A and M fifty two to twenty four. At that point, we were writing Texas A and M off. They sure came back to kick us with that. Game three, they beat Ole Miss 63-48. Game four, I just mentioned, they beat Georgia 41-24. Game five, they beat Tennessee 48-14. Game six, they blew out Mississippi State 41-0. Game seven against LSU was postponed. Game eight, they beat Kentucky 63-6. Game nine, they beat Auburn 42 to 13. Game 10, the LSU game was rearranged and they won that 55 to 17. Game eight, final regular game of the season for them. They won 52-3 over Arkansas. And then the SEC title game, they beat Florida 52-46 in what was a great game. And then obviously in the Rose Bowl, the playoff semifinals, they beat Notre Dame 31-14. And their final game of the year will be on the 12th of January for the national championship against Ohio State. In terms of passing, uh, of overall statistics... Passing is, of course, Mac Jones, the Heisman candidate. He finished 275 for 300, sorry, completed 275 of 357 attempts, 4,036 yards, 36 touchdowns and four interceptions. Rushing yardage, of course, Najee Harris, 1,387 yards. He also had 24 rushing touchdowns, which is just crazy. And then equally as crazy was receiving DeFonta Smith, 1,641 yards and 20 receiving touchdowns. Kicking-wise, Will Richard went perfect on extra points with 77 out of 77 and perfect on field goals, 13 for 13. I think in this round, he's the first field, the first kicker that's had perfect um, field goals. I think every other one we've discussed in these seven matchups have had have had a miss tackles 
Um, again, for this one, for the combined, I've mentioned two guys because it was so close. So linebacker Dylan Moses finished on 74 combined and Christian Harris linebacker finished on 73. Solos was held by Christian Harris with 49. Sacks was shared. Uh, Will Anderson Jr., the linebacker, and Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle, both had seven. Um Pass defended was also shared. That was Patrick Sertain, the second cornerback, and Josh Job, cornerback, both had 11. Uh, Malachi Moore had three interceptions, and Christian Barmore finished with three forced fumbles. And then finally, <clears throat> the draft prospects. And as you can imagine... The roster. Uh, yeah, Alabama <laughs> have as many first-round picks as some teams have overall picks in this draft class. First up, and probably first bammer off the board, in my opinion, is going to be Patrick Sertain, the second cornerback. I've put top 10 next to him. I think that's being kind. I'd probably say he... Don't be surprised to see him being picked in the top five. Um, Then you've got Devonta Smith. Again, I've put top 15. However, really, I think probably top 10. Jalen Waddell, his wide receiver partner, who obviously has missed a lot of the season through injury, is a first-round pick. Dylan Moses is an interesting one. He started last year and this year very, very high on a lot of people's boards. He's slowly been moving down. I still have a first round grade on him, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him drop to the second round just with the other positions of need in this for this year um, over linebacker. I still think he will go in the first round, but there's a potential that he'll drop into the second. And if he does, someone's getting a bargain. Uh, Christian Barmore, defensive tackle, rounds one to two. Alex Leverwood, offensive lineman, round one and two. Mac Jones, the quarterback, I've got him as a round two. I have a strong suspicion he's going to be picked round one. You think think there's a team that's either going to trade in or get excited? I I think either one of the later round teams, like a Colt or a Steeler or maybe even a Saint, are going to take him round one or someone's going to move back end around one and pick him up. Najee Harris, I've been a bit unkind on him. I've put round two to three. He's a round one talent. But again, running backs just don't often have that calibre of draft capital. So I've put round two to three on him. You've then got Landon Dickerson and Deontay Brown inside offensive linemen round three and four. And finally, Josh Joe, cornerback round four to five. Um, one more guy is Brian Robson, Robinson Jr., their running back. However, he's their punt returner and he's a good punt returner. So don't be surprised if he isn't selected sort of late round six, seven as a special teamer for, for an NFL team. And that is the main draft prospects from Alabama and Alabama. So any thoughts on them before we uh, move on to our special guest? No, let's let's hear it. I know that Murph has got something special planned for us. It's going to be a, a bumper description. And knowing Murph as I do, I think he's going to sort of think about me as an individual as well as just looking at these two programmes. So let's listen to what Murph has to say. Hey, boys. Big brother Murph here. Thought I'd come and weigh in as the SEC guy here to weigh in on Alabama versus Georgia in this uh, playoff um, for the Lonely Hearts Club. Where do we go from here? Personally, you should eliminate both teams. Um, Both these teams aren't worthy of your support. 
Tom, but since you got rid of the excellent SEC programs like Florida um, for no real brilliant reason, uh, you're left with this choice and it's a choice that you thoroughly deserve to have to make and to be in the predicament of because right now it's going to be a really, really difficult one because if you take Bama right now, you're automatically a glory hunter. That's it. You, you just will forever have that tag of somebody who is going to support the best team end of, and you'll basically be everything that you have aspired to not be, which is a, a bandwagon fan. You know, all those Patriot fans who you dislike because they support the Patriots when coming up and we're already winning titles and haven't had to suffer that, that hardship and pay their dues. That, that will be you by picking Bama. Inversely, with Georgia, you're picking a franchise that's just, it's a difficult one. You're picking a franchise that is just a bit meh. They're, you know, great historical uh, program, Georgia, always sort of competitive, but never really around when the big prizes are being held out. Kirby Smart has done a wonderful job in rebuilding this program uh, after some years of, of turmoil and, you know, has steadied the ship and they play good football and they will win games. And, you know, you got things like the mascot go for them, etc. The You know, the fact they play in one of the biggest games uh, in in the season in the, you know, the, the world's largest cocktail party against Florida. You know, you've got a lot of history and tradition and many reasons. The jerseys, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a fan of, of Georgia, but the jerseys just so much better than, than the Crimson Tide. You know, there are so many reasons um, where the campus is. It's a, you know, it's a better town. It's a better place to, to watch football. I would argue a better atmosphere. But then it's Georgia. It's, you know, a team that really... You know, very rarely they produce great running backs, but they're not producing that many elite, elite, elite talented players. You know, Herschel Walker was the last player from there to have won the Heisman Trophy. Um, you've got players in there who, I mean, their their most notable sort of best player to come out of there in, in the last year or two is arguably Blankenship, their kicker. I mean, you could talk about Andrew Thomas, but he's not really taken to it well. You've got Baker. He didn't really take to the NFL well and is stuck in, in controversy. You know, it's it's one of these things that it's not uncommon for players from Georgia to struggle in the NFL. It's like a cultural thing. They, they get to be so insulated at, at, at Georgia that they end up, you know, when it comes to getting into the NFL, they, they do tend to fall apart a little bit. And that's not in all cases. You know, we've seen some great running backs and some great players come out of there. But I'm just sorting as a, a real general trend. Where do you go? Like, it's a tough decision. I wouldn't want to make it. I mean, for me, it'd be easy, but that's being a Florida hand. I'm trying to do this with my hat off. I mean, both these teams regularly play slightly outside of the rules. You know, uh, recruiting violations. The one thing, if I had like a tiebreaker for me, would be the coach. I like Kirby Smart, but he's not really that that ignatic, you know, ignatic figure, that real sort of polarizing guy you want to get behind and, and just cheer onto victory like Nick Saban is. Nick Saban's a guy who took a franchise and took a college program that was really struggling and just sort of a bit treading water and turned him into 
an absolute dynasty. But how many more years do you have of Saban? And then when Saban goes, how do they attempt to continue the success, given how competitive the SEC is? So for me, mate, if if it's me and I'm looking at this objectively, I'm looking at players who I can root in the NFL and I'm looking at players who um, I can sort of stand around and be proud of and a program that I can be proud of. It really only leans towards Alabama. And I think that, you know, you can talk about the bandwagon piece, but I think the one thing about it is that, you know, it, it's coming to an end. There, There is a shelf life here. And I think Saban has a few years left, but I don't think it's it's many, many, many years. I just think if you support Georgia, you'll always feel empty. There will always be something missing. And it's not the fact that it's the fact that it's not the fact that they win or don't win the big prizes or they're not really around to handle it off. It, it, it's nothing to do with that because it's not just the wins and losses. It's just as a program. It just seems to be that unless you're from Georgia, you are always on the outside. It's just one of those traditional places that you kind of have to be from to be a fan and to appreciate and to understand and to really network and, and ingrain it. And that's my view as someone who has been to their campus, who's watched a game there, who knows Georgia fans. It, for people for people part of the program it is a it is very much a, a religion but for everyone outside it, it isn't and there is that that tier of acceptance and i don't think you'll get that kind of acceptance as a georgia fan they'll be like, oh you're a georgia fan cool but you're not from athens you, you didn't go to the school and i think that they have this this kind of view of, of that and then again, you look at the players coming through and you think, well, how many players are coming through from Georgia into the NFL that are players you are desperate to really get behind and watch and, and enjoy? Because they put enough into the NFL every single year to where you can always say, oh, well, this person came from Georgia and this player came from Georgia. You know, you've got the running backs, Nick Chubb, Todd Gurley, etc. But it they they as as a as a program as large as they are they don't put enough real world class talent into the pool for me so you'll always sort of flame out and go oh yeah i used to watch him at georgia he was great there but he's not quite lived up to his potential in the nfl and that i feel is the general feeling amongst players who who and again i'm being really overly over general here but that's the general feeling of of players that you get from, from Georgia, you know, Aaron Murray, unbelievable quarterback, didn't do it in the NFL. And, and you know, you've got these controversial players like Baker. Um, I mean, Roquan Swift, I would say is probably the last player I can truly think of that I would say was a top, 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 top tier player um, to have come from Georgia other than maybe Todd Gurley. And I think they're, they're really sort of the only ones to stick. And, and people can at me and, and correct me, but, I, I would go with, with Bama. I think just not even just from the fact that I think their fan base is more inclusive, that I think that, that them as a, an organization know how to win. Um, but it's just the players that they, they generate. And you, 
even as a, not a fan of Alabama, have begrudging respect for the kind of defensive players and the kind of offensive players that they create. And when you look at the legacy of the teams that you're going to watch, the fact that one, I feel you'll, you'll be more included as a fan. And the fact that if you ever went there and watched the Crimson Tide live, I know that you'd be welcomed with, with open arms. I know enough Bama fans to, to know that that would be the case. But I also know that you'll take great pride in watching those players then flourish into the NFL. And there's just something about that. And then I also think you'll get some weird catharsis from the transition, from when Saban goes down and Alabama go back to being just a normal team in the pack. I think you'll somehow really enjoy that and see what the the second coming is or what the next generation is. Uh, I hope this has helped. Um, for any fans of Bama or, or Georgia, you know, it, it's no disrespect. It's, it's a love-hate thing in the fact of being part of the SEC and being part of Florida. You know, I'm sure you could say the similar similar things to what I've said uh, about Georgia, about Florida, and, and you'd probably be right in many ways. Uh, the difference is that Florida is, is my, my team and, and Georgia aren't. <laughs> um, for the sake of this matchup, go with Bama. I hope for the long haul you pick neither and you end up moving on to uh, a better franchise um, and team that you can follow and program. But for the purposes of this, I think you've got to pick Bama and I hope you make the right decision. Well, I mean, unsurprising. I mean, what can we, we can't expect anything less from Murph than absolute the best in-depth analysis that you can hope for. Um, and I'm not surprised I, on I anything surprised. he said. Well, you were. I, I, I was surprised. I I thought he was going to say Georgia. I thought he was going to tell me to back the Bulldogs because he wouldn't... Basically, the first comment he made about Alabama is the thing that worries me about Alabama. Yeah. Not for, you know, when he said, you, you will forever have that tag as the glory hunter. And he tapped into my... He tapped into my feelings towards Patriots fans. You know, I was out on a walk last weekend walking down the hill, other side of the hill, this fellow's coming up and I can see a Patriots hat and straight away, this could have been the nicest fellow you've ever met. He could have donated his entire salary to charity and straight away I see the hat and I go, "Ah, Patriots fan. (laughs) And I I have that reaction whenever I see a Patriots hat, a Patriots jersey, I immediately react with glory hunter. You don't know the game. And and it's it's unfair because I've, I've known some incredibly knowledgeable Patriots fans. Let's see how many of them are left when they stink for the next five years. Bill Belichick has stayed too long. They've not got a quarterback. It's going to be beautiful. Anyway, I'm getting on to my, uh, my bitter <laughs> rant. My bitter rant is happening. So yeah. when Murph mentioned that, that resonated with me because that is exactly how I feel. Um, and, I, and I certainly don't want to be that guy. I was I was a little bit perturbed about what he said about Georgia fans not accepting outsiders because um, that's yeah. a big that's a big deal for me, you know, being sort of part of part of the community and that isn't something that I have experienced in the past. I, I haven't noticed that as a specific issue for the Bulldogs. We do have to mention that Murphy is a Florida fan. And that that is gonna that is gonna play play some role. I know he tried to take a, a step or two back and 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 not do it from a, a a Gators perspective. But you could tell at times that that the the Florida fan in him was was talking. For 
Well, Ash, you know I'm all about equal treatment. I don't care who you are, where you're from, as long as you love me. Um, I ignored stocks. It's only fair that I ignore Murph. Okay. It is I ab- agree. It is absolute, he's, he's so right. He, he, he hit the nail on the head so early on when he said, you will have that glory hunter tag. And if I am if I am anything, I am not a glory hunter. If anything, I revel in the misery of being a, a New York <laughs> Jets fan. Now, I don't want that on a Saturday as well as a Sunday, but I cannot, with a clear conscience, support the Crimson Tide. They are incredible. They put some fantastic talents into the NFL year after year. They are the NFL's talent factory. Nick Saban is incredible. He has built a dynasty that is going to be the envy of college football for a very long time. There are just too many parallels with the New England Patriots, and I can't do it. And so the Georgia Bulldogs are going to see off the Alabama Crimson Tide into the next round. Well, you've disappointed Murph once already for the Lonely Hearts. Why not do it again? I, well, if, uh, I'm, if, if I'm in bad books, do you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a story now, Ash. When I, was, when I was back at school, me and a mate, Andy, were messing about in English and the teacher turned around halfway through the lesson. That's it. You're in detention now. I've had enough. And I then started trying to behave. And Andy gave me a nudge and he went, what are you doing behaving now for? You're already in trouble. You may as well enjoy yourself. Now that for me, Ash, was a crystallizing moment as a young man. I thought, do you know what? He's absolutely right. And we did. We, we continued to misbehave and we ended up doing the detention. But I remember that moment in my life where I thought, he's absolutely right. So if I'm going to disappoint Murph once, I may as well keep doing it. I may as well keep, you know, ignoring what he says after he puts so much time and effort into putting a, a Lonely Hearts together for us. <laughs> Same with stocks, like you say. So uh, what, excellent. What eight teams have we got in the quarterfinals now? I was hoping you weren't going to ask that because I'm on a new computer and I just realised I haven't brought it over. So we've got Georgia tonight. Last week, we had the the triple header, which was USC. Yeah. Penn State. Penn State. And was it Auburn or Oregon? Did you go Pac-12 in that as well? No, Auburn went No, Auburn. It was Auburn because obviously we we were potentially going to have the Iron Bowl, which you've ruined. So So there's four. There's four, and then we've got the... Um, four others. Uh, yeah, no, we're going to get them. <laughs> One sec. Wake Forest, Wake Forest and uh, Ohio, you went for Wake Forest. Yes, I did. Because of me. Um, stocks you ignored. What was Stocks' one? I haven't got a clue. Texas A&M, you went over Boston College. Correct. The Aggies are in. Yeah, the Aggies are in. Uh, Notre Dame, Clemson. Clemson. You went Clemson. We're missing one. Knowing knowing my luck, this will be the team that I end up picking more than likely through it all. So, yeah. listeners, if you are starting to question <laughs> our professionalism at this point, you'd be absolutely right oh. to do so. Can we can we all just collectively agree that this is Ash's fault? for treating himself to a new computer, screen, microphone. I don't know what he's been doing. He's been saving up the cash and he's splashed out. So please don't blame me. This is all Ash's fault. I know this is, you know, my team to support, but this is all, this is all on Ash. I'll take it. I'll take it on the chin. I've, uh, yeah. And once more, (laughs) once more, you can find him on Twitter at addicted to underscore FF. All complaints directed to that Twitter account, please. Ash, how many followers do you think we are away from 1,000? 
I'm, I have no idea. Let's Where do you go. reckon we are? Uh, 50. We are 30 followers oh. away from 1,000. Now, so close. I, I know that we shouldn't count our relationships and, and our value in this world based on how many people follow us on Twitter. I'm aware of that, but it would be really lovely to hit 1,000 followers. So, listeners, if you know anyone that's into the NFL who's trying to get into the college game, any NFL fans that love the draft season, or if you yourself have listened but not follow us on Twitter, go over, give us a follow. Who knows? We might even run a nice little giveaway for somebody uh, if we get to that magic number. Like I said, there are more important things in nice in life, but it just would be nice to get to that figure of, of 1,000 followers. It's been a fantastic six months or so over at, at Five Yard College. Uh, I can't thank you enough for the interaction and for the positive feedback to the positional profiles. By the time you're listening to this, all the offensive profiles will be out and you'll be getting the defensive profiles as well. I've been in charge of edge rushers and cornerbacks. I'm starting to think that I might need to go back and see where Aziz Jalari is on my <laughs> list because he has, has certainly rocketed up the draft board. So keep your eyes out for some defensive player profiles. We might have to be uh, looking into doing some more mock drafts. Ash, I was talking to somebody on Twitter today who's a Seahawks fan, and I've realised that what we haven't done is we haven't thought about the Seahawks and the Rams, who are without first-round picks. So what we might yeah. do is we might have a look and see what, what they're going to do with their first pick in the draft when it comes to it on day two. Sounds good. Right, Ash, it is desperately close to the time where uh, Boris is going to stand in front of the nation and tell us that we've all been naughty and we need to stay inside for the remaining of time. So I'm going to let you go. Um, I will see you in a virtual sense very, very soon. Listeners, take care of yourselves. Saturdays are for rushing too. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.